0: Hello and welcome back to the Fox Rugby Podcast. I'm Sam Worthington from foxsports.com.au and I'm joined by my colleague, my esteemed colleague, Christy Doran, who's just polished off an eye fillet steak for lunch. How are you, mate? You look pretty happy tucking into that.
1: Oh, bloody oath. I am and a very good afternoon to you this Friday. What is it? 24th or so. We're quickly coming to December. We're still talking rugby though.
0: We are, yeah, last uh, week I guess of, of real rugby chat before we uh, get the surfboards out and, and paddle around at the beach and, and what not. Uh, Sean Maloney and, and Stephen Hawes have, have Gone early, I think. I think they might be at the beach today. It's a beautiful, another long lunch. Beautiful day. Yeah, uh, the cricket's back, and a lot of focus on that, of course. But we've still got uh, plenty of rugby to to talk about this week. A lot going on, um, both on and off the field. But mate, we'll take take you back to the the painful memories. I came in early Sunday morning last week, um, and you were a bit of a disconsolate soul, um, picking up the pieces from that. Wallabies England game. Um, you, I can see the pained look in your eyes, but uh, we we better cover that off. Uh, just a, a really tough game as a Wallabies fan to to deal with that one.
1: Yeah, it was because I think a lot of people were were confident, or I certainly was. I'd said that I thought the Wallabies would win by ten the a couple of days earlier, and and uh, we saw the the Wallabies start pretty slowly, and and both teams did really. There wasn't a whole heap going for the first. 20 minutes or so and then it sprang to life with a couple of yellow cards and some pretty good defence from the Wallabies on their own line and to, to go in at half time 6-0 down I think it was, was it was a pretty good result and we saw a lot happen in the second half where you, you know, uh, uh, Kirtley Bill probably just giving up, uh, probably the golden era, the sin of, of anyone, you're taught at a young age to chase everything, can you play the whistle to play the whistle and the ball doesn't go out. Elliot Daly scoots down the touchline. Did the ball go out? Did it stay in? Who knows? Um, angles showed various various things, but long story short, I think they had themselves to blame for for a lot of it. And uh, in the end, I think we're talking really about the 70th minute with, with Marika Corribetti. Was it a try? Um, I think you and I are both in the acceptance that there was a it was a bit of a shepherd because Chris Robshaw couldn't get a, a proper hit on uh, on Marika Koroibei because of Stephen Moore running in and just in front of the ball carrier, a little bit unfortunate. But was he was he running into a bloke who two guys that had come from an offside position with 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 uh, Farrell and and Robshaw clearly had it, it come. Uh, and, and I think they'll probably offside despite the fact that Genia took a couple of extra steps to allow them to retreat further, but certainly swung the the, the match again, but we've seen once again the Wallabies unable to, to regain their composure after a decision goes against them, and, and to, to cough up three tries right at the end was, was unacceptable really, a 24-point loss, 30 points to to six, uh, you, you can't do that. Um, so yes. a
0: disappointing one for, for Michael Checker. Yeah, they're the worst ever defeat against England. And like I say, a lot of controversial refereeing moments. That One of those games that uh, you know normally you might get two calls each way, but on this occasion everything went against uh, the Wallabies and, and, and Czech blew up in the coach's box, which uh, we've finally got some resolution over the night there that he won't face any um, actual disciplinary action. He's been given a slap on the wrist, Thank basically. For that. And yeah, it, it would have been uh, crazy, no, no matter what you you think of as outburst, i don't i don't think any real disciplinary uh, action was was warranted on this occasion but yeah it, it brings into question uh, a lot of issues around the use of the what, what, what the host broadcasters are doing with their cameras because they were clearly uh, had their their cameras trained on on check to try and catch him um, one of those moments which which they did and it was all good entertainment i guess but um and then then we had the interview afterwards as well so yeah, and it's interesting to see if we get any uh, uh, different um, emotions from Checker in the coaching box. I don't think we'll. Sp- I don't think he knows how to, to change. Does he? he's going to carry on being nah, who his blood, being who he is? So, but whether he can rein it back just a touch, I don't know.
1: What's, what's, just going back to the game slightly? The first half with Michael Hooper, who was disallowed a try. Uh, we we reading Clive Woodward, Sir Clive Woodward, obviously the two thousand and three World Cup winner, coach with England. He made a couple of good points in his Daily Mail uh, piece where he was bringing, basically bringing up the uh, the case that, look, whilst technically Michael Hooper may have been offside from the initial kick and continued to, to run ahead, although he did retreat and put his arms back, he slowed his, his, his run to, to the line. We see it time and time again, a fly half or a fullback or a winger sit back in the pocket, boot up the ball, has one bloke on his side who essentially runs everyone on onside and... Uh, Woodward was saying, well, what's the difference to that? And yep. if we're going to police that, then aren't you going to police every other player in the game, really?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think he spoke a lot of common sense on that issue, and he, yeah, he's quite right. You get away with it normally, but because on this occasion it led to a try, uh, he didn't. So, yeah, I mean, rugby's rule book's enormous, isn't it? And there's all different ways you can interpret different things. But, yeah, I think uh, for me, I, w- I would have liked to have seen that try stand, but I think it was fair enough. The the Bedi one was... Was scrubbed out, and then that touchline decision. I mean, psh, who knows? It was play on on the field, and I I don't think there was enough evidence to, to overturn that. Uh, it was it was you know different angles suggested, maybe it did catch a bit of um bit of the paint and others didn't so yep um a- as you pointed out uh the wallabies need to develop that no excuses mentality where they where they keep playing the 80 minutes and 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 uh, i know it's it's hard when they keep mounting up like that but they did eventually drop their standards and then let in those like late tries didn't they which you just can't get away with because in, in, inevitably at uh, the world cup there's going to be those those flash points high pressure moments that you just got to keep uh yeah keep keep your standards um when when things go against you so so yeah hopefully uh they learn a few things out of that and uh we we look ahead to another huge challenge with scotland in the season ending test this weekend um and one of those teams are starting to develop into a bit of a bogey team for australia they haven't lost often to them but they they get pushed uh all the way generally and of course they 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 Got them, got them uh, in Sydney earlier this year. So, and that was with a weakened team as well. So, uh, I think the the Scots from everything I've uh, read uh, are quite rightfully pretty confident going into this one.
1: Yeah, and well, I don't think they're, they're not favourites going into the game, which is somewhat surprising if if you beat them away at home and then you've just pushed the All Blacks at home too, and the Wallabies have just had a record defeat to England. I think this is a this is a huge game for the for the Wallabies. Who's favourite? I, I I wouldn't know. I don't think no. the Wallabies really are going into it because. Not only have they just had a, a pretty, uh, a huge defeat, really. Um, certainly, they didn't have much luck there. But they're they're, like, they're they're down on troops. A couple of guys in the tight five that are that are out, and not having Adam Coleman in there is is a really big one for the Wallabies. Uh, Stephen Moore, in his final ever match rugby professional game. Well played to him, great servant. Oh, at 126, 127 caps to his name, which is just an outstanding effort. He will go down as the second most capped Wallaby of all time. A huge play, but I wonder: do are the, are the Wallabies weakened by 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 starting him? It's certainly, I think, you've got to ask that question. In the in the type five, you'd probably be strengthened by having to tap a plotter now in there, particularly against a, a Scottish scrum, which is pretty good. Will be a, a, a very interesting and absorbing match and I think that the clean out is going to be so huge we saw the Scottish well, they capitalised with any opportunities in Sydney and we saw a charge down kick we saw um, yeah, an intercept I think as well Like there was a, a lot of things that went the Scottish way in the, back in Sydney but they also disrupted the breakdown so it's a big one for the Wallabies Genia needs to uh, have, a, have a more influential game than what he did on the weekend because he's passing in the wet conditions, albeit it wasn't his accurate best and certainly wasn't what we'd have
0: seen over the last two months. Yeah. yeah, they're a seriously good team, the The Scots. Um, they've just been developing nicely over quite a long time now with Vern Cotter in charge and, and Gregor Townsend. Um, they haven't missed a beat. They're, they're adding new things to their game under him. So they're playing a pretty vibrant style of rugby as well, which we haven't seen from the Scots uh, traditionally. And then they've got real Pace in their and their back three uh, Stuart Hogg he was the best player in the pitch against the uh, the All Blacks last week weekend um, almost streaked away for the what would have been an amazing match winning uh, try there just got. Uh, chased down by Bowden Barrett, so he's you know a, a real world world class player uh, mm. up there, up there with you know Israel Folau and, and Ben Smith as the the best fullbacks in the world, and Tommy Seymour and, and Sean Maitland as well on on the wing. So a lot of pace. Uh, so I, I think if the it's very cold over there, but um, if the weather plays ball, I think both teams will, will really spin it around and try and play.
1: Yeah, you forget that Stuart Hogg, he was missing. From that Wallabies test because he was over in New Zealand, but uh, it was it was pretty unfortunate for him. Like it, going into that British and Irish Lions series, I think he was probably the only person in that pack three that was going there probably with his name almost wrapped up as the fullback. he had been the star of the Six Nations for a couple of years, and uh, desperately unfortunate to to run into. I think it was a, it's a Conor Murray uh, his, yeah. his shoulder or his hand or arm when he was chasing a, a high ball and uh, fractured. One part of the area is his face. So he's come back and he's had a scintillating return. So certainly he's a good player. But even someone like a Hugh Jones, who we've seen a fair bit in Super Rugby previously with the Stormers, I think he mm. he's back to his try-scoring form. He played extremely well in the corresponding fixture last year against the Wallabies to score. Finn Russell's playing very well at 10.
0: So they certainly have a lot more attacking threats than they than they once did. Yeah. Yeah, you look across that team, and arguably their their strength is their backline now, rather than their their forwards. So yeah, quite an exciting Scottish team, and um, yeah, I honestly don't know who to. To pick for this one, um, but it's—I think we said it last year. You say it most years. It's—it's it, it's been a mixed season for Australia. What was looking, you know, pretty positive after after that All Blacks victory, now that that lost England, it's just a, a bit deflating for everyone, isn't it? So, again, we sort of find ourselves this last test of the year. It can, you know, really to some extent define how we how we look back on the season. If they manage to to you know play some sparkling rugby and send Stephen Moore off a, a winner, everyone's going to go okay. yep, they're still on the on the right track. If they Stumble again, then um, the knives start coming out, don't they? Oh, I don't think we'll see. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, panic and, and lose their jobs if if they do lose because Scotland are mm. a good team. But it's, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty crucial that they start chalking up these sorts of wins um, as the World Cup gets closer, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. And going into a, a Super Rugby
1: season where you need as much confidence as possible after the year that you've had, you need these guys going back to pre-seasons early in January, happy. Uh, and not only themselves, but also just for the confidence of the Australian public because it, like we've seen right throughout this year and last year a whole heap of negativity uh, from all circles. And we've still got this unfolding mess of the who the heck the CEO is going to be. So uh, it's a huge match. I think at the moment, if you were to grade the Wallabies, they're probably throughout the season maybe if, after the All Blacks win and then after the Welsh win too. Probably be a B, but if they lose this, it's certainly a, it's, it's a C or a C minus. Yep. Or as they could scrape up to a B plus if they if they get it. And uh, it's it's a big one. Um, like we've seen Michael Hooper last last week just probably struggle a little bit. We saw some interesting leadership shown by Owen Farrell, just his ability to get into the ear of Ben O'Keefe. Michael Hooper wasn't able to, to quite have that same influence. was told to go away once or twice from O'Keefe and he was very surprised too when he was shown a yellow card. So it's a big one, I think, for Hooper too um, To to say that, look, the Wallabies can get
0: back on the horse straight away immediately. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah, on the podcast last week, I uh, said that Ben O'Keefe would probably be an advantage to Australia. That uh, turned out to be a pretty poor prediction. Um, but yeah, we've got a French referee this weekend, so uh, yeah, who, who knows? They, you know, there's, there's obviously community language uh, barrier that can come into play there as well at, at times. Um, Scottish accents, Australian accents, and, and French accents. Uh, no doubt, we'll get a few um, moments of, of controversy again, but hopefully, it's not. Uh, discussion's not dominated by the referee. You wanna be talking about uh the, the amazing try or, or tackle after the game, mm-hmm. don't you, rather than um referee or, or coaching blow ups um C- like we had last week. Yeah.
1: Certainly. Well it will be interesting to see as well the impact off the bench because we've got Taniella Tubo, the, the Tongan and Thor, who's been known for his debut uh off off the bench. So um he's a bloke who's got a huge amount of oh, the, the world is really his, I think. If he if he He will certainly improve his scrummaging over the years, but we haven't really seen a a ball-carrying prop front rower quite like him. And uh, it's a scary thought, him being unleashed with 25 minutes to go and seeing how he he goes and how he fares. But Lucan Tui to Taffa now, Lepeti Tamati, is a fair bit of strength and munger there. Whether or not Tui, after coming back from a hamstring injury, can have the same damaging impact that he did in Brisbane last month on a it was actually to be fair a little bit wet that that evening too but uh mirefield you imagine it's going to be a little bit heavy
0: underfoot yeah i think uh 2 degrees was the uh, the beautiful balmy temperature uh, i read this morning over there so yeah, not not quite uh, Tonga for the Thor, but um, he he's a great story, isn't he? Just a, a wonderful story. You talked to him recently, and um, yeah, he he genuinely grew up wanting to to play for the Wallabies in, in Tonga, and um, he, yeah, he predicted he would he'd cry if he did uh, get the call up for the Wallabies, and sure enough, there were was some tears um at, at the press conference as he as he spoke, spoke about how much it meant. So, yeah, it's been a, a long long time coming, hasn't it, since he burst onto the scene with that those YouTube clips? Um, but yeah, he's clearly matured. he, he looks quite comfortable now sort of talking to the the media and stuff so yeah just just so exciting to to see him hopefully wreak some havoc and you know he's he's likely to come on in a high pressure situation like I think this this test I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be a close one so if he comes on with 20 minutes to go will he produce the the game-changing play or or will he struggle at scrum time it could be quite pivotal to the outcome couldn't it certainly yeah
1: yeah yeah. I I, I dare say Michael Checker would have uh, well obviously but it would have been uh, much more comfortable for him to be able to select him because he was always going to get selected going over there just for two weeks and he's only eligible for the last one after the NRC final. So he was always going to go there, but you can, Michael Checker would have been just hoping that he could you know, ease him in a little bit and not so much of a pressure environment after hopefully a win over England, but it's certainly not the case.
0: Yeah. And there's going to be, what, fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 fans there all screaming for the Scots. Absolutely. And we've got Benny McCalman coming in for the injured Ned Hannigan um into the back row and yeah, he's looked uh pretty good in his, his limited minutes so far, so I don't think they're gonna lose anything there. He he'll add some good experience and physicality and a little bit surprised they haven't gone for Matt Phillip to, to start ahead of Blake enover Any any thoughts on that one? I just just feel like Philip's been the more you know, got their more impressive case to, to start overall.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think uh, Phillips had an outstanding start. Uh, one thing that Michael Checker has done and he's and he's spoken about it. He's with uh Jordan Ulisi he actually throughout the rugby championship, he said, "Look, he's had a crack against the Springboks. He did pretty well there coming on early and then late in the game." Um and he said that after that match, Stephen Moore was available. But look, I didn't want to just bring Ulysses in for one match and then say thanks very much I'm on your way now. I wanted to give him the opportunity to have another go. And I think that's possibly the same sort of thinking with with Blake Ennever. Like starting for the first time, it would have been a huge shock for him to to come in and and replace Adam Coleman. And to be fair, he did okay. Like he got through his defensive work, but wasn't able to have really any influence. Getting over the gain line, which is so important for a tight five forward, um, so I think that's probably one of the the, the main reasons. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think the Wallabies with their their back replacements is is going to be a, a big one too because we haven't, you know, like Nick Phipps. Carmichael Hunt, they haven't had really any influence whatsoever in the last two test matches coming off the bench so we saw how vital Danny Kerr was for England last week, whether or not Nick Phipps can do that same sort of thing he he was, I thought rather he did a rather good job throughout the rugby championship but has been quiet for these last yeah. couple
0: of tests with 10 minutes to go co- coming on. Yeah, yeah Checker does have a slightly different approach to his subs at the moment to, to most of the other teams going around, I've seen a, a little bit of criticism on social media that he's not getting full use out of his his bench and I think that is a a fair criticism. Um, like you've got these guys fresh and raring to go. It would make sense to give them a bit, a bit more game time. So, yeah, interesting debate there. And Luke Antui, um, who you wrote a story about uh, during the week. Great to see him back in the, the fold as well because he's, he's the real deal, I think, and he'll he add some real punch off the bench. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, he certainly is. Right, yep. Being a 21-year-old, and he, he hits as hard and loves the, the tough stuff so much. Wow, he's yep. an exciting prospect. And probably should make mention Carmichael Hunt as expected, re signing for a couple of more years. So it's a, it's a good thing for the these stocks, definitely with the uh, shortages of tens around. Not that I, th- I don't think we really see him as, as a 10, but he certainly has the ability to cover positions like 10, 12, and 15, like a Kirtley Bill. So, uh, Th- those kind of guys, when you don't have Matt Tamua coming
0: back in the in the scene in the fold in the years to come, are, are going to be pretty valuable. Cool. So that's all ahead of us. At two a.m. kickoff, I believe. You'll uh, you'll be in the office. So join Christy on the live blog. Keep one, him company. One th- one thirty. One thirty kickoff. Mm. Apologies. Don't don't want anyone to miss the opening half an hour. One thirty. Join Christy on the the live blog. And that's um, you know just one game and another very busy weekend of rugby. I guess another game that will. We'll uh, quickly touch upon the Welsh and the All Blacks and you know the All Blacks missing a huge amount of senior players now and they don't get any more senior than the captain obviously Karen Reed. Ruled out and uh, somewhat surprisingly replaced by Luke Whitelock in the starting lineup, who wasn't named in the initial All Blacks squad, but went over there to captain the um, basically the the midweek team against the French 15, and uh, he's got the call up. So you know, the, certainly ex- would still expect the All Blacks to win, but the, they've been pretty patchy with their performances, and the, I think the Welsh will sense a bit of an opportunity here. Yeah, well
1: it's been an eternity since they they beat the All Blacks, and uh, I think coming. Up to the end of an, another marathon year for, for the All Blacks with the Lions Series and the Blues League Cup and all their teams making the Super Rugby finals, yep. they've, they've just been playing week on week out and they're they're certainly uh, running out of gas. You would know Luke Whitelock Lock pretty well. He's a, he had an outstanding Super Rugby campaign, I thought, for the for the Highlanders. What were your impressions
0: of him throughout the year? Yeah, he was a guy that uh, I didn't quite know what all the fuss was about until probably. The this season, he really stood out to me. Uh, pre- previously, he was one of those guys that get, kept getting picked in the wider squads, and um, yeah, I felt guys like Brad Shields were were more deserving of that. But um, and and to be honest, probably um, would rather have Brad Shields in there uh, than than Whitelock. But he's now heading off to England. That's another story. But Luke Whitelock is. Uh, his tackle success rate's quite extraordinary. He basically doesn't miss any tackles and, and a high work rate, uh, a line-out option and, and a good leader as well. So yeah, I'm sure he'll do a good uh, serviceable job but I don't, I don't think he'll... He's not like a long-term um, sort of answer um, for the All Blacks but he'll certainly do a... An admirable job, I, I, I'm sure. So, yeah, we've got Rico Iwani um, back from another injury scare and um, another mumps outbreak in the All Blacks camp. So they've <laughs> had a, a bit to deal with. The Welsh pretty pretty banged up themselves, though, missing a few with injuries. Uh, I think Liam Williams, um, he's no good as well. So, they're, yeah, both both teams pretty banged up. And they only
1: just scraped home last week against Georgia. Yeah. So after a pretty good performance against the Wallabies, albeit going down, but they showed a lot of attacking flair. Last week was uh, they were um, average at, at best, scraping home. But yeah. the All Blacks are yeah, as, as you pointed out, they're missing a couple. But the leadership stocks, I think, it's an interesting one. Like Sam Whitelock, Luke's brother taking the captaincy. Sam Kane's in there previously captained. Bowden Barrett has done a midweek captaincy or well, against the Barbarians anyway. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But they're certainly they don't have the the, the same aura. And about them just at this present moment, and they're and they're leaving like missing some some really big influential names throughout that setup, like your Jerome Kainos, your Ben Smiths. So uh, if it is tight, it would be interesting to see how they respond uh, to the adversity without that leadership
0: presence. Yeah absolutely another another good test in store there I think so mate, we'll uh, we'll pivot to a couple of other issues a lot going on um, around the, the traps um, and, and you touched on Adam Coleman, um, him re-signing before and the Rebels have just continued their signing splurge uh, throughout the week and, and the pretty much all these force guys have now been snapped up I think uh, Ben McKelman who we spoke about he's still on the market and Curtis Rona as well but uh, Basically, we've seen most of the, the Forces' top players sign with the Rebels, no huge surprise, but, um, but uh, you know, understandably, it's caused a, a few grumbles from other states, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it has, because you, they, these players were really always going to follow Dave Vessels, um, and understandably, he's got some, some really big raps about him, but the, the grumbling is, look, the guys like the Queensland Reds or, or even the Waratahs, to an extent... Um, the Brumbies that they've snapped up a couple of guys from the from the Force, but the the Reds were, were going ahead um, with the expectation that we're going to have a, The salary cap isn't going to change. It's it is what it is. So they they sought what they thought was the best roster available for them at the time, and they, they I suppose they went on the front foot a little bit, but unfortunately they missed out. Will Genia, um, the, the the key, well obviously is the Wallabies vice captain and number nine at the moment, and he was quite outspoken by saying that his preference would be to go back to the Reds, but unfortunately, they didn't have the under the salary cap, couldn't fit him in, but they'd also had three halfbacks that they weren't willing to say, look, we're going to tap you on the shoulder because we want to bring home Will Genia on your bike. They weren't prepared to do that, which is which is fair play to them. But when you have a, a salary cap and the Rebels, it looks like they're probably at least going over it by a little bit. Um, then, it, then it's a bit unfortunate that these sides weren't really and the, had the capacity or the capability to kind of bring some of these guys over. So we saw the the Waratahs. Greg Davis was it too, who had some some words by saying that I'm not sure how these. Uh, I think it's I think what, he was disappointed by it, but he also said that look, there's there's hard there's the Rebels aren't the only uh, only side that are that are above breaking the salary cap. Um, But really, it's just going to be interesting to see how this unfolds in a year or two's time when these players, when the Salary Cup does come back Hmm.
0: and, and they've got to offload. And who do they offload? Yeah, for sure. We're you know, starting to go through the you know, the likely fifteen starting fifteens from each team. I think you uh, tweeted out the the rebels one and it's pretty damn impressive, isn't it? They've, they've got um all sorts of options in the in the back line in particular and uh, you know, some handy guys in, in the forward pack of course, Jeff Parling coming in, they've still got Murphy there, they lose uh, McMahon, but you know, some good props. Coming in, Jordan Ulisi will develop, um, and and yeah, the big question of who will play at ten. They can go with either John O'Lance or or Reese Hodge there. So, yeah, I think with with uh, Dave Vessels in charge, uh, they're a, a, a sneaky bet to to top the Australian Conference next season. I, I think we both talked about it. So, I actually would say that's the most likely outcome. Now they're going to be a, a serious squad. Yeah, we we
1: saw the Reds. Have a pretty big off-season uh, signing splurge last year, and they certainly weren't able to back that up with with good winning performances. But I think the difference there was a lot of those guys who were coming back were probably a little bit older. Albeit George Smith and Scott Higginbotham were two of the more outstanding players from the Reds last year, but but to think there was a, a few cultural issues there, there was there was coaching rumblings, there was yep. there was a whole heap of them. Whereas that that doesn't seem to be the case going forward for the Rebels where a
0: lot of them have have come to the club because of the coach. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, I certainly sympathize, sympathize with the Force uh, fans out there, but uh, it's going to give rugby a real jolt in Melbourne, isn't it? And then hopefully bring it to the the public uh, forefront uh, down there again. Uh, you know, they're never going to top AFL, but uh, I, I think they're going to really string some wins together and hopefully engage the uh, the rugby public down there. So yeah, ex- exciting times.
1: Undoubtedly, they'll be stronger. But I suppose the other the big subject going around is is who is going to be the next CEO of, of Australian rugby or rugby Australia now. Um, you've got you've you've been or we've we've both been speaking to to a few different people,
0: but run us through who we think the candidates are at this stage. Yeah, well, it's it's been pitched as a Phil Kearns versus uh, Raylene Castle. Um, head to head with a, a third um, unnamed um, character in, in the fold as well. So yeah, they they all had interviews. The, they were the shortlisted candidates. They had interviews um, by a panel consisting of Cameron Klein and Sherry, who's a Rugby Australia director, and um, and the the HR head at Rugby Australia as well. So uh, yeah, an interesting. Panel um, and the the mail is from uh, Ian Payton at the Daily Telegraph that that Kearns is favoured largely uh, would seem just because he's Australian so they I think they're a little bit wary about uh, going outside that and I guess that begs the question why why shortlist someone if they're going to scrub them out on their nationality anyway so it's a it's an interesting one um, obviously they've got real. Strengths all of those candidates, um, but uh, you couldn't get more polar opposite. Really, you've got the Kearns, of course, the former Wallabies captain and a, a rugby insider. You know, lives in, in, in Mossman, part of the the furniture. And then, mm. so there will be if he does get the job, there will be some blowback um, for that. You know, being too insular. Yeah, the in whole the, a, Rugby and the rugby community. And then you've got, um, yeah, Raylan Castle, the New Zealand outsider from you know a netball and then rugby league background. So I, I'm sure that. Uh, that also cop it if uh, if she was appointed as well. So they, you know, to to some degree, they're in a bit of a, a no win position, no win position from the um from you know from the PR perspective. Um, and but if if, if uh, the mail is right and it is Kearns, uh, obviously brings a lot of you know business clout as well as, as as rugby clouts to proceedings. Um, and we have a huge job on his hands. You touched upon some of the salary cap issues, which Wayne Smith uh, wrote about during the week as well. Um, I guess he won't have to deal with the, the the coal process. Bill Pulver's already, you know, got the, got the blood on his hands, so to speak. There, and 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 um, and Kearns will be able to move forward with the, the four teams. But uh, yeah, I mean, w- w- what do you see as the most pressing issues for the the new incoming boss to to look at? Where well, do you, where do you start? <laughs> where, where do you start? Yes,
1: uh, I think ultimately, w- one of the the things that. Bill Pulver really shot himself in the foot with his, with his comments to, to Club Rugby. Um, and they, they were directed at, at Sydney Club Rugby. And I know a lot, of, a lot of people out there will go, well, it's another... You guys always just talking about Sydney Rugby Union and that's that's it. Well, the reality is that I'm well, a Queenslander, you're a person from New Zealand, so just from a Fox Sports perspective, we're not approaching this from, oh, you've we've, we've got to fix things from Sydney Club Rugby and, that, and that's it. But reality is that at, at grassroots circles, both here and elsewhere, I think that's where it's got to be certainly grown from the from the bottom up. Um, and we've got a lot of great people. I think there needs to be a few more people tapped into um, growing rugby because we've heard a lot of great stories and, and pe- speaking to people like Stephen Hoyles who actively want to get out there in the community and are doing so. There's a lot of good, positive rugby stories out there, but a lot of them are being you know washed down the drain by... The odd comments, such as Bill Pulver by you know Sydney Club Rugby or they're flushing money down the drain, sort of thing, and pissing against pissing the law. Against yeah, the uh, law. He, he
0: struggled to to bounce back from that comment. It's amazing how one one what was a bit of a throwaway line can really tarnish your, your image, and a, it just yeah shows how what a tough job it is. And um, I mean that was a, a silly comment, of course. I'm sure he regrets that, but it's really hard to to then dig yourself out of a, a hole like that from the PR perspective, isn't it? So. S-
1: certainly. So I think that's one issue, but I think. Also, uh, the fact that we're coming back to four sides now and we touched upon it with the strength of the squads now or what we think of the strength of the squads. But really, uh, you need your teams winning, but you also need your country winning in the Wallabies. And I think this will probably help not only the Super Rugby sides, but it will also help the Wallabies at the the top, whether or not you can do that in the next year or two or if that's more of a thing in four to five years or, or longer.
0: But you've got to get success and early success, I think. Yeah yeah and and good on Phil Kearns for putting his hand up for this um you know he 's got a you know a good thing going with his business set up as well obviously working here at at fox sports um you know you know would have been pretty easy to carry on with that and and you know stay out of the the public limelight and and pressures that come with that but yeah he's he 's obviously uh really hurting from what 's happened in australian rugby and he he 's decided to put his hand up to do something about it, so if he does get the the job, uh, yeah, good on him for 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 putting his hand up, and because it is a you know a, a very tough job, high high pressures. You, you cop it from all quarters, don't you? Um, so. Yeah, he he must be very, very passionate and genuine about his um, desire to, to see some meaningful change.
1: Yeah, and the other thing we see about Phil Kearns is we, a lot. I know a lot of the punters, and I certainly was just one myself only a few years ago, you see Phil Kearns on the TV and often he's commentating Waratah's games or, or Wallaby's games and he's talking about the scrum and people are saying he's only watching it with one eye. Perhaps that's that's true, but there is a different side of Phil Kearns that you see when he, when he comes into the office or you're talking to him on the phone. He's actually quite an intelligent man, um, so uh, I
0: think people have also got to look at that from both both sides. Yeah, I think he he's clearly got the TV Phil Kearns where he he does ham it up a bit, doesn't he? And has some has some fun, and um, some people like it, some don't. But yeah, quite like you say, once he gets if if he does get around the boardroom table with the CEO hat on um yeah oh, i'm sure he's uh he won't have a Waratah's eye patch on in, in those situations i'm sure he uh, like like you say very intelligent guy that will be able to see the the bigger picture but there there will be that perception still that's the oh, that's the problem perception is reality for a lot of people so yeah interesting interesting times and uh there's going to be the, the completed interviews so i think we'll we'll probably see some news on this um, fairly soon, there will definitely be an appointment before Christmas, and then um, the, the the candidate may not start work until the the new year. And, and Bill Pulver's going to stick around until to whenever that happens. But yeah, certainly uh, an appointment in the next few weeks. So watch the space. Watch the space. Huge,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, huge news. Massive for Australian rugby going forward.
0: Yeah, it, it really is a <laughs> very important that they yeah get the decision right, and the and the new candidate is able to implement. What they want to do, because it's a, a bit of a crossroads moment at the moment, isn't it? With rugby's popularity sort of teetering a bit, and and results being mixed, so it's a yeah very uh, uh, emotionally charged time as well with the the force uh, cull. So a lot to deal with for for whoever the uh, the, <laughs> the lucky lucky man or female is. Mm. Interesting. An- any other thoughts, mate? Uh look, I think that's probably probably about it. Wrap it up. I need some lunch. You've had your steak. I'm starting to get a little bit hungry, uh, we've gone to lunch at the cricket as well, so we'll, we'll sign off there, um, thanks everyone for tuning in I think we'll probably do a, a season review podcast next week, if Sean's uh, eager to get back, if yep. Sean comes off the, the beach and we'll hand out some awards and have a bit of fun hopefully so thanks again for tuning in, uh, good luck to the Wallabies at the weekend, good luck to the All Blacks of course, can't forget about though that that team that uh, needs all the support they can get at, at, at the moment, and um, we'll catch you next week